And so we're really digging into that, what is authentic for us? Um, We've been looking at this through the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm just finding the key verse that we're having throughout this series, which is also up on the screen behind me. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 13. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. We have our foundation of Jesus, the salvation we receive through him. But then as we go through our life, we're building on that foundation of our salvation in Christ. Take care what we're building on it. Is what we're building on that foundation authentic? Will it stand the test of fire? Our church vision statement is connecting people with God within authentic community where all are welcome. And so that challenge for us, are we being authentic community? What does it mean to be authentic community? And so in this series, we've we've looked through sort of three key areas of authenticity. We started off with looking at authentic wisdom. What is wisdom? What is authentic wisdom? Last week, Tony did a talk on authentic morality. What does it mean really to be moral? And then this week, we're looking at authentic freedom. What is it to truly be free? What does authentic freedom look like? And freedom is a big issue. So freedom is enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It's a big thing, freedom. And just for those of us who don't know the Universal Declaration of Human Rights off by heart, I thought I'd run us through it. But we've got the kiddie version because that's about the level I can cope with, okay? So this is the kiddie version of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So... Articles 1 and 2 say, we are all born free. We all have our own thoughts and ideas. We should all be treated in the same way. These rights belong to everybody, whatever our differences. We have a right to life and to live in freedom and safety. Nobody has any right to make us a slave. And we cannot make anyone else our slave. We can all ask for the law to help us when we're not treated fairly. Nobody has the right to put us in prison without a good reason to keep us there or to send us away from our country. Nobody should be blamed for doing something until it is proved. When people say we did a bad thing, we have the right to show it is not true. If we are frightened of being badly treated in our own country, we all have the right to run away to another country to be safe. We all have the right to believe in whatever we like 
to have a religion and to change it if we wish. We all have the right to meet our friends and to work together in peace to defend our rights. Nobody can make us join a group if we don't want to. We have the right to a good life. Mothers and children and people who are old, unemployed or disabled have the right to be cared for. We have the right to our own way of life and to enjoy the good things that science and learning bring. And there must be proper order so we can all enjoy rights and freedoms in our own country all over the world. Freedom is a big deal. It matters. What actually does freedom look like, though? We see a picture of freedom there. So it's a big thing in the world. But freedom is also a big thing for us as Christians in Jesus. Freedom pops up in the Bible all over the place. It's a big deal. And so just to remind ourselves of this, I've got a few key Bible verses that talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus. And to make sure you're all awake, because I know it's a little bit hot today, All of these Bible verses, because freedom is such a big thing and people like to celebrate it, they pop up in worship songs all the time, yeah? I'm sure you can think in your heads of some worship songs that talk about the freedom we have in Christ. There's no need for sound yet, Andrew, panic not. So, we're going to have a little competition, okay? I'm going to have the Bible verse pop up on the board. If you can think of a worship song that has that Bible verse in it, you are going to leap up and loudly start singing that song, okay? Okay, are we ready, people? So, to to help you along a little bit, because, of course, we do need prizes when we have competitions, I believe, left over from the youth trip yesterday, I have a few stale sweets in the bottom of my handbag somewhere. Let me have a little rummage. I'm sure I had one. It was, it's, it's fine, it's fine, they're good, they're good. Look, here we go, some nice Moan blocks. Okay, here we go. I, I have sweeties to throw at you if you successfully leap up and sing for me, okay? So, are we ready for this, people? I can see you all braced, ready to leap out of your seats and sing for me. Here we go. Oh, hang on, hang on. It's coming, it's coming. Ready? So, the first verse is, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Everyone join in. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Right, chuck him a sweet to shut him up. Okay, right. Next up. Ready? That was impressive. Now, I'm I'm expecting this kind of enthusiasm from everybody here, okay? Are we ready? Ready for this one? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Will set us free. You didn't leap up. Very disappointed in you. It's all right. We'll allow, we'll allow you. Ready? Good girl. Well done. Okay, next up. Where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. Ready, Bummy? Oh, yeah. Right, last one. Come on, people. This is your last chance to get yourselves a sweet here, okay? Ready? Last chance, people. 
It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lydia, the subject to a yoke of slavery. Are you ready? It's going to hit you on the head. You're not looking ready to catch. Hang on, she's putting the fan down. Hands ready. Can I throw that far? Jill and Anne, you might need crash helmets. Woo! Well done. Very good, people. Very good. Okay. It, it was all the worship team, indeed. Interesting. Interesting, that. This, this is good. This is good. So, freedom is a big thing. Freedom. But what does freedom actually look like? What does it look to live a life that is free? Perhaps we picture it being something a little bit like this next video that I'm going to show you. Excuse the advertising. Other outdoor clothing brands are available. I'm Alex Honnold, and this is my ride. You gotta open the living room door. The idea of living in this when I'm like in my 30s kind of makes me sad a little bit. There's the bedroom. Is that where the magic happens? That is where the magic happens. I wish. What are you rolling on? Are these like 20s? <laughs> They're pretty baller though, huh? I did buy new tires last year. So we're in Yosemite National Park. And it's probably my favorite place to climb. My favorite place that I've been to at least. It's pretty good. I 
sincerely hope there's a nice easy route down the other side of that for him. There's got to be a nice gentle walk back down. Perhaps that's what we might think of, though, in terms of what is total freedom. No, No ropes holding you back. Nothing stopping you just going. Following your dream. Nothing unhindered, nothing to tie you down. Complete freedom. And I want you to hold on to that thought, that picture of freedom. Nothing tying you down. As we look into the, the passage we're focusing on today. So, we're looking in this book of Corinthians. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Um, <coughs> and it seems they weren't using their freedom in Christ terribly well. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 to start with. Which says this. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, what about eating food sacrificed to idols? We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now what we need to understand as we look at this passage is that Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians as a reply to a letter they sent to him. Okay, And they sent a letter to him with some quite specific questions or points that they were raising. And so in this particular bit, he's specifically responding to something they wrote to him. Now, the issue that they're talking about here is this business of eating food sacrificed to idols. So there were other religions around at the time who, as part of their worship, they would sacrifice food to their idols, their their statues of other gods. And the dilemma that seems to be going on is... Is it okay for us to eat that food? Is that right or is that wrong? Is it a problem? And they've written to Paul, making their argument, saying, we think it's okay for us to eat this. And he actually quotes them here. And certainly in in the the church Bibles, it doesn't put it in um, quotation marks. But in in some of you in your Bibles, you may find there's certain bits that are actually in quotation marks because he's quoting their letter. So the bits that he's quoting, he says... They've said to him, we all possess knowledge. We're all wise about this. We all know that idols aren't real. Okay? And they've said to him, an idol is nothing at all in the world. Has no power. It's just a statue. It's nothing. It's not really God. There is no God but one. So they've said this to him. We all know this. It's common sense. It's just a statue. We all know it's just a statue. There's only one true God. So actually, that food that's been sacrificed to that statue has no power. It can't harm me in any way. We all know it's nonsense. So actually, if I'm hungry, 
and I fancy a snack, it's fine for me to eat that because it's not going to do me any harm. It's been sacrificed to a statue. It's not real. And it's not a bad argument, actually, because, yeah, it is just a statue. That food has no magical spiritual power going on because it's not real. They are false gods. They are just statues. And so Paul initially takes her and says, well, yeah, okay, you're right. There is but one God. Idols aren't real. So they don't have any real power. But then in the next bit, he starts with a but. Did you sense there was a but coming there, people? There's a but. So let's read the rest of what he actually says to them on this point. Yeah, I get your point, guys. We understand Idols are nothing, but, from verse 7, not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat and no better if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul's responded, saying, yes, You say, we all possess this knowledge, but actually not everyone does. You might know that idols are nothing, that they have no spiritual power, but actually there probably were some people in their community who didn't know that, who didn't really understand that, who thought idols did still have some kind of power. And be careful that as you exercise your rights, your freedoms, It's not a stumbling block to the weak. Because actually, if those who know idols are nothing say, fine, I can eat the food then, have someone else who doesn't get it see that, that other person might then be thinking, oh, well, they're really, really wise. I know they've got it sorted. And so if if they're going to an idol's temple and eating that food, oh, it's okay for me to eat an idol's food. It's okay for me to worship idols too then. And so that knowledge that they think they have has caused someone else to stumble. And so Paul's saying, actually, yes, you are free to eat food sacrificed to idols because you know it has no power. You are free in Christ. But you exercising that freedom, you exercising that right, could actually be a problem for someone else. It might confuse them. It might mislead them. So let's come into today's world because I suspect that 
food sacrifice to idols probably isn't a regular occurrence in our everyday lives. Anyone struggled with that one recently? No, doesn't tend to come up. Now, as this sermon series is called Authentic, I'm going to be authentic with you here, guys. Okay, I'm going to tell you a bit about my journey on this one. Um, for me, it's not about food to sacrifice, sacrifice to idols. It's about something else that may ruffle some feathers. Are you ready, people? Let's talk Harry Potter. Now, if you haven't sort of been brought up in the church world, you may not know that this is a loaded issue. Okay? The Bible says, and I, I can't remember the particular verse, but it basically says you should have nothing to do with witchcraft. Okay? So, there's me as an adult thinking, right, okay, Bible says nothing to do with witchcraft. But... I know this isn't real witchcraft, this is fiction. This is a story. Yes, there is real dodgy witchcraft stuff out there. This ain't it. This is a made-up story. And so therefore, for me, as an adult, my personal choice was to say, you know what, actually, I think I'm okay to read this. Because I know it's fiction. I know it's not real. I also know where my boundaries are, that I can read this and enjoy it as a story, but for me to start engaging with it as a, ooh, this is really cool, ooh, spells, I might start having a go at that, it's a big no-no. I know where to put that boundary with this as an adult. I get that. And so for me, my personal choice was that I'm free to read this and enjoy the book just as a book. You may have a different opinion to me. That's fine. That was my choice. So... As the Harry Potter books came out, I read them. I even, confession time here, when one of the books came out, my husband, bless him, stayed up until midnight so that he could go to Tesco's when it was released so that when I woke up the next morning, the book was there ready for me. And I then, this was when Kezia was a newborn baby, I then spent the entire following day on the sofa, Kezia attached to my boob for the entire day, whilst I binge-read the new Harry Potter book. That's, that's my little confession. Feel free to judge me as you wish. I'm, it, it's between me and God. We're cool. So, for me as an adult, I was free to read this, was my decision. Then I had children. I had children. Children who perhaps didn't know as much as me when they were young. They perhaps couldn't grasp this is pretend, this is fictional, this is just a story. Real witchcraft stuff, do not go there. They perhaps couldn't distinguish in the same way. They perhaps, if they were reading a book about witchcraft, might then want to start playing witchcraft, because that's what kids do. And suddenly, my decision about what was okay and wasn't for me was challenged. Yeah, it might be fine for me to read it because I know where those boundaries are, but did my young children. And so initially with my kids, I thought, okay, no witches, no wizards, none of that. We're not having it in the books at all. But parenting is a minefield on this issue, people. So it starts off with Meg and Mog at the library. Are they allowed to read Meg and Mog? That was an easy no got harder when we went to school and they start the Oxford reading tree. 
And we have the magic key books, which have witches in them. And suddenly there's this, oh my goodness, okay. Do I go to this teacher and say, my children aren't allowed to read the books on the reading scheme because there's witches in it? It's not as simple as, okay, we're just not going there. Because actually you have to then stand up and say to people, no, I'm sorry, my kids aren't allowed this. That gets really hard. And then you get the worst witch. And all this is before we've even got to Harry Potter. It is a minefield, people. It is not easy. So what do you do? What do you do? Now, my personal decision, and this is my personal one, we all have to work out for ourselves what's right for us. And I think that's part of Paul's message when he's talking about the others. We have to know who's around us, who are we influencing, and where, are, where is their understanding at. So for my children, when they were very young, we did not do witches at all. They, they didn't read Megan Mog. They didn't have any of that stuff. As they got older, though, I did allow them to read some of those stories. When they reached an age where I thought, actually, I think now they understand the difference between fiction and the real thing. I made sure that I talked with them about it, that they knew that. And so as they've got older, they have been allowed to read stuff. And certainly now they they have both of them actually just finished binge reading the entire Harry Potter series and watching the movie as they finished each book. That was my choice for my family. And I'm let me be clear here, I'm not saying that is necessarily the right or wrong thing for you. Okay, that's just what we did for because that's what I felt was appropriate for my kids. I will confess to you, I wasn't always very good at this approach. I even, it was literally two, three weeks ago, I was in an RE, um, so I'm, a, I'm the RE subject lead at my school. And we have these termly meetings for RE subject leaders from all the schools in the area. And we were talking about the RE curriculum and stuff. And somebody brought up this whole thing of these awful parents who won't even let their children read the books in the reading scheme that have witches. And I just sat there very, very quietly. And I didn't say anything. So my decision there was actually, when my kids were young, that could have been a stumbling block for them, so I didn't exercise my freedom there. I chose not to for their benefit. But as they get older... I felt that that freedom was okay. So that's one area. That's a very narrow issue, the whole thing of witches. But maybe we can look a bit broader than that. What freedoms might we exercise that could be a stumbling block to others? So, for example, it's not so long ago that in society, wearing nail varnish and high heels as a woman meant you were a little bit, you know... And so if you turn it, everyone's, I'm just checking the nails around them. <gasps> Shocking. But if, you know, not so long back, if you came to church on a Sunday dressed like that with nail varnish and high heels, people would assume that you were a bit slutty, a bit loose. Yeah? And so actually, there's a question then of, well, we know as Christians, wearing nail varnish and high heels does not mean that you are a morally loose woman, does it? But if me turning up at church on Sunday in high heels and with my painted nails, which, as you can all see, I do on a regular basis, um, if that is going to make other people visiting the church think that it's okay as a Christian for me to have slightly loose morals, should I still exercise that freedom? 
Or should I be careful how I dress to make sure that for those people who don't get it, who don't yet understand, am I giving them a confusing message? And that's a really difficult one to answer. Where's our priority there? Women's rights, women's freedom to dress how you want versus not confusing and misleading other people. I'm I'm sure nail varnish and high heels aren't the issues today, but we could probably think of equivalents. You know, turning up to church in a really low-cut top or something would probably raise some eyebrows, I'm guessing. Is that okay or isn't it? We're free in Christ, but is it going to mislead other people? Another one that is relevant today, if you've been with us a while, you'll have noticed when we have communion, when we break bread, we don't have wine, we have grape juice. That is purely for the reason that we recognize that for some people, alcohol is a real struggle. And out of respect to them, we don't want it to be an issue for them. We're free to drink alcohol. But if it's a problem for someone, let's not make a problem for them here in church. And so we just have grapefruit juice instead. It's no biggie. Not a problem for us to do that. So there are things like that that we may need to think, yeah, I'm free to do this. This isn't a problem for me, but it might be a problem for somebody else. And so actually, I have a decision to make. Do I exercise my freedom? Or is exercising my freedom in that area going to be a problem for someone else? But I think we can go even further than that. Because I think Paul goes a bit further than that in his attitude. If we just read ahead, he chats on about things a bit, and then we come to chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. So he's he's just been talking about this issue with food sacrifice to idols. And then he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. He says that though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul has actually changed his preferences, his way of living to reach different people. So yes, we can think about doing the simple things like not wearing nail varnish to church or whatever the modern equivalent is, or having grape juice instead of alcohol, or or not reading Harry Potter books or whatever. But actually, are we brave enough to take it a step further? Will we actually change our basic preferences where it's, it's not necessarily about what's right or wrong, but about what people can relate to? 
We're free to have whatever taste in music we like. But will we start listening to some different music if it means we can relate to a different group of people and help them get to know Jesus? We, um, I don't know, we may like reading a certain category of book, but maybe if it means we can relate to people who read a different type of book, perhaps we will start reading some of those books so that we can relate to them, so that they can relate to us, so that they can get to know Jesus. We're free to have whatever preferences we like. But will we choose to sacrifice some of those freedoms for the sake of other people coming to know Jesus? I wanted to give you a a picture of this. Right at the beginning, I showed you that clip of that mountain climber, that, that image of complete freedom, certainly freedom from fear in his case, I think, that he, no ropes attached, nothing, no responsibilities. I'm guessing he probably isn't married, because if he was, pretty sure his wife wouldn't be having him doing that, I'm just guessing here. Complete freedom, climbing up, nothing to hinder him. And if we're free, we can choose that. That's what freedom is. We are free to choose that. But I think what Paul is challenging the Corinthians here is that actually, in authentic community, that freedom might look a bit different. And I'm sure you're all familiar that most rock climbers don't climb without a rope. They have a rope. I can't find the end of my rope right now. Where it is there? Who invited you? Clearly, this is a mountain climbing rope. Could we perhaps unwind it round the room a little bit, please, Ross? Pass it along. Let's unwind it. Keep going. Pass it round. Pass it on. Pass it on. You might want to keep hold of a bit for yourselves, maybe. Shall we we keep hold of it and pass it round? You love it when I do this kind of thing on a Sunday morning, don't you? And we all get in a tangle. It's great. Pass it on. And then pass it back to Steve. Get it going all the way round. Got a tangle. Who got the rope in a tangle? The two. (laughs) Well. (laughs) So, you can climb a rock face with that complete freedom of your own and get ahead and get to the top. Or, you can choose to be tied to a rope that's perhaps got some other people tied to it. If you choose to be tied to a rope that's got other people tied to it, it's going to affect how you climb, isn't it? Yeah? If you're one of the... No, 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 boys, don't fight over the rope. (laughs) But this might happen. So we might have Steve here, who is keen to get ahead. He's clearly very good at rock climbing. And he's eager to go further. But Brian, on the other hand, is a little bit afraid of heights. And is pulling back. Steve's having to sacrifice. Steve's having to sacrifice his freedom. So Steve is making a choice to sacrifice his freedom by not climbing as far ahead to wait for Brian to get his confidence up. It might... Okay, enough now, guys. 
I'm going to put my teacher voice on in a minute, right? It might slow you down. Because it means then that you've got to wait for some of those other people. You might have to sacrifice some of your freedom. You might not be able to climb the particular route you want to climb. Because you might want to go up that side. They might want to go up this route. It means sacrificing your freedom. But you know what? If you look at this picture and you see yourself as one of the strong people, because I'm imagining as you look at this, you either probably picture yourself either as the strong person or the weak person. Okay? If you picture yourself as the strong person here and you're thinking, yeah, me being tied to this rope is going to mean I have to slow down to wait for others. Can I let you in on a little secret, guys? If you see yourself as the strong person, you're not always going to be the strong person. There's going to be a time when you're the weak one. It will come. might not be yet, but it will come. One day you're going to be the weak one. And if you look at this picture and you see yourself as the weak person, the one who's going to hold the others back, you know what? You're probably stronger than you think you are. Actually, maybe you're one of the ones who's going to be at the lead and takes people on a different route that helps them get there. But the key thing is that being tied to this rope is your choice. Because you are free, you have a choice whether to make those sacrifices, whether to limit your freedom. That's what freedom is, a choice. When you're, t- when you're climbing, I'm not an expert on this. Have we got any expert climbers in the room? No, excellent. I can bluff it and nobody will know. So, apparently the way you attach yourself to one of these ropes is with one of these things, called a carabiner. Okay, so you have this attached to your harness. And then you can clip on. You're not physically tied to the rope. Nobody has tied a knot around your waist. You are free to clip on and unclip. Freedom. Choose. But which are you going to choose? Are you going to unclip? And have that complete freedom just for you? Or will you choose to clip onto that rope? And yes, restrict your freedom. Restrict some of your preferences. Perhaps not always have things the way you would like them to be. But it means that others get to come on that journey too. And so that's the choice I want us to finish with today as we close. Will you choose, you're free to choose, to clip on? to sacrifice some of your freedom so that others can come on this journey with God, so that others can walk closer to Jesus? Will you make that choice? Will you make that sacrifice? So we've just got time. Ban, do you want to pop up again? Have you got an appropriate song we could sing at this point? We'll just decide a song to sing. I'm going to rein the rope back in now, people. So as we worship, think about that choice that you have today. You are free in Christ. You don't have to make a sacrifice for someone else. But you can choose to. Will you use your freedom to choose to give up some of your preferences, to perhaps not have something your way, so that others are drawn closer to God, so that others aren't misled? 
And perhaps you might have in mind some of the things that that might be as we worship. <laughs>